Book Three, Chapter Four of Last Days of Pompeii. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anne Boulay. Last Days of Pompeii by Edward G. Bulwer Lytton. Book Three, Chapter Four. The Stream of Love Runs On. Whither? Days are like years in the love of the young, when no bar, no obstacle is between their hearts, when the sun shines and the course runs smooth, when their love is prosperous and confessed. Ione no longer concealed from Glaucus the attachment she felt for him, and their talk now was only of their love. Over the rapture of the present, the hopes of the future glowed like the heaven above the gardens of spring. When they went in their trustful thoughts far down the stream of time, they laid out the chart of their destiny to come. They suffered the light of today to suffuse the morrow. In the youth of their hearts it seemed as if care and change and death were as things unknown. Perhaps they loved each other the more because the condition of the world left to Glaucus no aim and no wish but love, because the distractions common in free states to men's affections existed not for the Athenian because his country wooed him not to the bustle of civil life, because ambition furnished no counterpoise to love, and, therefore, over their schemes and projects, love only reigned. In the Iron Age they imagined themselves of the golden, doomed only to live and to love. To the superficial observer, who interests himself only in characters strongly marked and broadly colored, both the lovers may seem of too slight and commonplace a mold, in the delineation of characters purposely subdued, the reader sometimes imagines that there is a want of character. Perhaps, indeed, I wrong the real nature of these two lovers by not painting more impressively their stronger individualities. But in dwelling so much on their bright and bird-like existence, I am influenced almost insensibly by the forethought of the changes that await them, and for which they are so ill-prepared. It was this very softness and gaiety of life that contrasted most strongly the vicissitudes of their coming fate, for the oak without fruit or blossom, whose hard and rugged heart is fitted for the storm, there is less fear than for the delicate branches of the myrtle and the laughing clusters of the vine. They now advanced far into August. The next month their marriage was fixed, and the threshold of Glaucus was already wreathed with garlands and nightly, by the door of Ione, he poured forth the rich libations. He existed no longer for his gay companions, he was ever with Ione. In the mornings they beguiled the sun with music, in the evenings they forsook the crowded haunts of the gay for excursions on the water, or along the fertile and vine-clad plains that lay beneath the fatal mount of Vesuvius. The earth shook no more, the lively Pompeians forgot even that there had gone forth so terrible a warning of their approaching doom. Glaucus imagined that convulsion, in the vanity of his heathen religion, and a special interposition of the gods, less in behalf of his own safety than that of Ione. He offered up the sacrifices of gratitude at the temples of his faith, and even the altar of Isis was covered with his votive garlands. As to the prodigy of the animated marble, he blushed at the effect it had produced on him. He believed it, indeed, to have been wrought by the magic of men, but the result convinced him that it betokened not the anger of a goddess. Of Arbaces they heard only that he still lived, stretched on the bed of suffering. 
he recovered slowly from the effect of the shock he had sustained he left the lovers unmolested but it was only to brood over the hour and the method of revenge alike in their mornings at the house of ione and in their evening excursions nydia was usually their constant and often their sole companion they did not guess the secret fires which consumed her the abrupt freedom with which she mingled in their conversation her capricious and often her peevish moods found already indulgence in the recollection of the service they owed her and their compassion for her affliction they felt an interest in her perhaps the greater and more affectionate from the very strangeness and waywardness of her nature her singular alternations of passion and softness the mixture of ignorance and genius of delicacy and rudeness of the quick humors of the child and the proud calmness of the woman although she refused to accept of freedom she constantly suffered to be free she went where she listed no curb was put either on her words or actions they felt for one so darkly faded and so susceptible of every wound the same pitying and compliant indulgence the mother feels for a spoiled and sickly child dreading to impose authority even where they imagined it for her benefit she availed herself of this license by refusing the companionship of the slave whom they wished to attend her with the slender staff by which she guided her steps she went now as in her former unprotected state along the populous streets it was almost miraculous to perceive how quickly and how dexterously she threaded every crowd avoiding every danger and could find her benighted way through the most intricate windings of the city but her chief delight was still in visiting the few feet of ground which made the garden of glaucus intending the flowers that at least repaid her love sometimes she entered the chamber where he sat and sought a conversation which she nearly always broke off abruptly for conversation with glaucus only tended to one subject ione and that name from his lips inflicted agony upon her often she bitterly repented the service she had rendered to ione often she said inly if she had fallen glaucus could have loved her no longer and then dark and fearful thoughts crept into her breast she had not experienced fully the trials that were in store for her when she had been thus generous she had never before been present when glaucus and ione were together she had never heard that voice so kind to her so much softer to another the shock that crushed her heart with the tidings that glaucus loved had at first only saddened and benumbed by degrees jealousy took a wilder and fiercer shape it partook of hatred it whispered revenge as you see the wind only agitate the green leaf upon the bough while the leaf which has lain withered and seared on the ground bruised and trampled upon till the sap and life are gone is suddenly whirled aloft now here now there without stay and without rest so the love which visits the happy and the hopeful hath but freshness on its wings its violence is but sportive but the heart that hath fallen from the green things of life that is without hope that hath no summer in its fibers is torn and whirled by the same wind that but caresses its brethren it hath no bough to cling to it is dashed from path to path till the winds fall and it is crushed into the mire for ever the friendless childhood of nydia had hardened prematurely her character perhaps the heated scenes of profligation through which she had passed seemingly unscathed had ripened her passions though they had not sullied her purity 
the orgies of burbo might only have disgusted the banquets of the egyptian might only have terrified at the moment but the winds that passed unheeded over the soil leave seeds behind them as darkness too favors the imagination so perhaps her very blindness contributed to feed with wild and delirious visions the love of the unfortunate girl the voice of glaucus had been the first that had sounded musically to her ear his kindness had made an impression upon her mind when he had left pompeii in the former year she had treasured up in her heart every word he had uttered and when anyone told her that this friend and patron of the poor flower girl was the most brilliant and the most graceful of the young revelers of pompeii she had felt a pleasing pride in nursing his recollection even the task which she imposed upon herself of tending his flowers served to keep him in her mind she associated him with all that was most charming to her impressions and when she had refused to express that image she fancied ione to resemble it was partly because that whatever was bright and soft in nature she had already combined with the thought of glaucus if any of my readers ever loved at an age which they would smile to remember an age in which fancy forestalled the reason let them say whether that love among all its strange and complicated delicacies was not above all other and later passions susceptible of jealousy i seek not here the cause i know that it is commonly the fact when glaucus returned to pompeii nydia had told another year of life that year with its sorrows its loneliness its trials had greatly developed her mind and heart and when the athenian drew her unconsciously to his breast deeming her still in soul as in years a child when he kissed her smooth cheek and wound his arm round her trembling frame nydia felt suddenly as by revelation that those feelings she had long and innocently cherished were of love doomed to be rescued from tyranny by glaucus doomed to take shelter under his roof doomed to breathe but for so brief a time the same air and doomed in the first rush of a thousand happy grateful delicious sentiments of an overflowing heart to hear that he loved another to be commissioned to that other the messenger the minister to feel all at once that utter nothingness which she was which she ever must be but which till then her young mind had not taught her that utter nothingness to him who was all to her what wonder that in her wild and passionate soul all the elements jarred discordant that if love reigned over the whole it was not the love which is born of the more sacred and soft emotions sometimes she dreaded only lest glaucus should discover her secret sometimes she felt indignant that it was not suspected it was a sign of contempt could he imagine that she presumed so far her feelings to ione ebbed and flowed with every hour now she loved her because he did now she hated him for the same cause there were moments when she could have murdered her unconscious mistress moments when she could have laid down life for her these fierce and tremulous alternations of passion were too severe to be borne long her health gave way though she felt it not her cheek paled her step grew feebler tears came to her eyes more often and relieved her less one morning when she repaired to her usual task in the garden of the athenian she found glaucus under the columns of the peristyle with a merchant of the town he was selecting jewels for his destined bride he had already fitted up her apartment the jewels he bought that day were placed also within it 
they were never fated to grace the fair form of Ione. They may be seen at this day among the disinterred treasures of Pompeii, in the chambers of the studio at Naples. Come hither, Nydia, put down thy vase, and come hither. Thou must take this chain from me. Stay. There, I have put it on. There, Servilius, does it not become her? Wonderfully, answered the jeweler, for jewelers were well-bred and flattering men, even at that day. But when these earrings glitter in the ears of the noble Ione, then, by Bacchus, you will see whether my art adds anything to beauty. Ione, repeated Nydia, who had hitherto acknowledged by smiles and blushes the gift of Glaucus. Yes, replied the Athenian, carelessly toying with the gems. I am choosing a present for Ione, but there are none worthy of her. He was startled as he spoke by an abrupt gesture of Nydia. She tore the chain violently from her neck and dashed it on the ground. How is this? What, Nydia, dost thou not like the bauble? Art thou offended? You treat me ever as a slave and as a child, replied the Thessalian, with ill-suppressed sobs, and she turned hastily away to the opposite corner of the garden. Glaucus did not attempt to follow, or to soothe. He was offended. He continued to examine the jewels and to comment on their fashion, to object to this and to praise that, and finally to be talked by the merchant into buying all, the safest plan for a lover, and a plan that any one will do right to adopt, provided always that he can obtain an Ione. When he had completed his purchase and dismissed the jeweler, he retired into his chamber, dressed, mounted his chariot, and went to Ione. He thought no more of the blind girl, or her offense. He had forgotten both the one and the other. He spent the forenoon with his beautiful Neapolitan, repaired thence to the baths, supped, if, as we have said before, we can justly so translate the three o'clock Kona of the Romans, alone, and abroad, for Pompeii had its restaurateurs, and returning home to change his dress, ere he again repaired to the house of Ione, he passed the peristyle, but with the absorbed reverie and absent eyes of a man in love and did not note the form of the poor blind girl bending exactly in the same place where he had left her. But though he saw her not, her ear recognized at once the sound of his step. She had been counting the moments to his return. He had scarcely entered his favorite chamber, which opened on the peristyle, and seated himself musingly on his couch, when he felt his robe timorously touched, and, turning, he beheld Nydia kneeling before him, and holding up to him a handful of flowers, a gentle and appropriate peace-offering. Her eyes, darkly upheld to his own, streamed with tears. "'I have offended thee,' she said, sobbing, "'and for the first time I would die rather than cause thee a moment's pain. Say that thou wilt forgive me. See, I have taken up the chain. I have put it on. I will never part from it. It is thy gift.' "'My dear Nydia,' returned Glaucus, and raising her, he kissed her forehead. Think of it no more. But why, my child, wert thou so suddenly angry? I could not divine the cause. Do not ask, she said, coloring violently. I am a thing full of faults and humors. You know I am but a child. You say so often. Is it from a child that you can expect a reason for every folly? But, prettiest, you will soon be a child no more and if you would have us treat you as a woman, you must learn to govern these singular impulses and gales of passion. 
think not i chide no it is for your happiness only i speak it is true said nydia i must learn to govern myself i must bide i must suppress my heart this is a woman's task and duty methinks her virtue is hypocrisy self-control is not deceit my nydia returned the athenian and that is the virtue necessary alike to man and to woman it is the true senatorial toga the badge of the dignity it covers self-control self-control well well what you say is right when i listen to you glaucus my wildest thoughts grow calm and sweet and a delicious serenity falls over me advise ah guide me ever my preserver thy affectionate heart will be thy best guide nydia when thou hast learned to regulate its feelings ah that will be never sighed nydia wiping away her tears say not so the first effort is the only difficult one i have made many first efforts answered nydia innocently but you my mentor do you find it so easy to control yourself can you conceal can you even regulate your love for ione love dear nydia ah that is quite another matter answered the young preceptor i thought so replied nydia with a melancholy smile glaucus wilt thou take my poor flowers do with them as thou wilt thou canst give them to ione she added with a little hesitation nay nydia answered glaucus kindly divining something of jealousy in her language though he imagined it only the jealousy of a vain and susceptible child i will not give thy pretty flowers to any one sit here and weave them into a garland i will wear it this night it is not the first those delicate fingers have woven for me the poor girl delightedly sat down beside glaucus she drew from her girdle a ball of the many-colored threads or rather slender ribbons used in the weaving of garlands and which for it was her professional occupation she carried constantly with her and began quickly and gracefully to commence her task upon her young cheeks the tears had already dried a faint but happy smile played round her lips childlike indeed she was sensible only of the joy of the present hour she had reconciled to glaucus he had forgiven her she was beside him he played caressingly with her silken hair his breath fanned her cheek ione the cruel ione was not by none other demanded divided his care yes she was happy and forgetful it was one of the few moments in her brief and troubled life that it was sweet to treasure to recall as the butterfly allured by the winter sun basks for a little in the sudden light ere yet the wind awakes and the frost comes which shall blast it before the eve she rested beneath a beam which by contrast with the wanted skies was not chilling and the instinct which should have warned her of its briefness bade her only gladden in its smile thou hast beautiful locks said glaucus they were once i ween well a mother's delight nydia sighed it would seem that she had not been born a slave but she ever shunned the mention of her parentage and whether obscure or noble certain it is that her birth was never known by her benefactors nor by any one in those distant shores even to the last the child of sorrow and of mystery she came and went as some bird that enters our chamber for a moment we see it flutter for a while before us we know not whence it flew or to what region it escapes nydia sighed and after a short pause without answering the remark said but do i weave too many roses in my wreath glaucus 
they tell me it is thy favorite flower and ever favored my nydia be it by those who have the soul of poetry it is the flower of love of festival it is also the flower we dedicate to silence and to death it blooms on our brows in life while life be worth the having it is scattered above our sepulchre when we are no more ah would said nydia instead of this perishable wreath that i could take thy web from the hand of the fates and insert the roses there pretty one thy wish is worthy of a voice so attuned to song it is uttered in the spirit of song and whatever my doom i thank thee whatever thy doom is it not already destined to all things bright and fair my wish was vain the fates will be as tender to thee as i should it may not be so nydia were it not for love while youth lasts i may forget my country for a while but what athenian in his graver manhood can think of athens as she was and be contented that he is happy while she is fallen fallen and forever and why forever as ashes cannot be rekindled as love once dead can never revive so freedom departed from a people is never regained but talk we not of these matters unsuited to thee to me oh thou errest i too have my sighs for greece my cradle was rocked at the foot of olympus the gods have left the mountain but their traces may be seen seen in the hearts of their worshippers seen in the beauty of their clime they tell me it is beautiful and i have felt its airs to which even these are harsh its sun to which these skies are chill oh talk to me of greece poor fool that i am i can comprehend thee and methinks had i yet lingered on those shores had i been a grecian maid whose happy fate it was to love and to be loved i myself could have armed my lover for another marathon a new platea yes the hand that now weaves the roses should have woven thee the olive crown if such a day could come said glaucus catching the enthusiasm of the blind thessalian and half rising but no the sun has set and the night only bids us be forgetful and in forgetness be gay weave still the roses but it was with a melancholy tone of forced gaiety that the athenian uttered the last words and sinking into a gloomy reverie he was only awakened from it a few minutes afterwards by the voice of nydia as she sang in a low tone the following words which he had once taught her the apology for pleasure one who will assume the bays that the hero wore wreaths on the tomb of days gone evermore who shall disturb the brave or one leaf on their holy grave the laurel is vowed to them leave the bay on its sacred stem but this the rose the fading rose alike for slave and freeman grows two if memory sit beside the dead with tombs her only treasure if hope is lost and freedom fled the more excuse for pleasure come weave the wreath the roses weave the rose at least is ours to feeble hearts our fathers leave in pitying scorn the flowers three on the summit worn and hoary of files solemn hill the tramp of the brave is still and still in the sadness mart the pulse of the mighty heart whose very blood was glory glaucopis forsakes her own the angry gods forget us but yet the blue streams along walk the feet of the silver song and the night-bird wakes the moon and the bees in the blushing noon haunt the heart of the old hymatus 
we are fallen but not forlorn if something is left to cherish as love was the earliest born so love is the last to perish four read then the roses read the beautiful still is ours while the streams still flow and the sky shall glow the beautiful still is ours whatever is fair or soft or bright in the lap of day or the arms of night whispers our soul of greece of greece and hushes our care with a voice of peace read then the roses wreathe they tell me of earlier hours and I hear the heart of my country breathe from the lips of the stranger's flowers. End of Book 3, Chapter 4